Hello and welcome to Uncage Critique. You can call me Cece. And you can call me Curtis. In this podcast, we discuss a wide and far-ranging variety of issues. From our vantage point behind the bars of a southern lockup. Incarcerated bodies. Liberated minds. This is Uncage Critique. Hello and welcome back for another wonderful episode of Uncaged Critique. I'm your guy, Curtis, and as always, I'm here with the lovely and beautiful... Cece, hi everybody. Happy Sunday. I hope you're all doing well. We are a day behind. This was supposed to be released yesterday, but we had encountered some unanticipated technical difficulties. But how are you, Curtis? I'm wonderful, Cece, and how are you? I'm here. You're here. I know. Like you said, we're a day behind. We did have some issues, so we apologize. Please bear with us. Um, I think today's going to be a wonderful day still, though, Cece. We have some, some interesting facts and things coming forth. Um, but I'm before, intrigued. You're intrigued. I'm intrigued. You're always intrigued. <laughs> but before we get into that, let's step back a couple episodes ago. We were talking about Ukraine. Yes, And uh, the, the situation over there. Just to bring you up to date, <clears throat> um, some things that are going on. Bum, 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 the exactly. Ukraine update. <laughs> <laughs> I think the world has been amazed at how they've been able to hold their own for number one against all of this. Um, Russia's not doing as well as they thought it would, but there again, they're still they're still pushing through. But Ukraine is a, a small place like it is, is holding its own with the people of there. The smaller areas, the little country towns, they're doing well. They're banding together. Mm-hmm. They're making things happen. And, uh, still, a real display of patriotism. Very much so. I read an article somewhere that said that Ukraine is literally giving the master class in you know, military and civilian communication and resistance. Yes, very much so. Yeah. They are. Um, the Airbnb thing still going strong. There's still people that's booking night after night after night to stay in the Ukraine. Um, the United States is still sending aid in, in various forms. In various forms, they are. Um, no. There are still people on their own pulling from the United States going over to help. Um, and people still accepting the refugees who are trying to come in from the Ukraine. So, And the American government has formally made its position and ratified it about the about the continued, um, you know, continued support and American efforts on behalf of Ukraine, even if they are a little bit less direct than we would right. prefer. And of course, there's been the resolution that we will bust Russia's ass if it invades Ukrainian airspace. Correct. I think that, um, you know, what kind of ties into the topic today, obviously, is I, I've just pondered very carefully, you know, Ukraine is going to have to rebuild everything. Its infrastructure is just, it's been blitzkrieged, even though it's not a Russian phrase. That's correct. You know, it's been blitzkrieged. I was looking at all the damage. And then, so, you know, the amount of rebuilding that's going to be done, not just at the kind of structural level and, you know, um, architectural level, but at the, at at the level of like personal lives and existences. And then, you know, um, looking at how all of the other countries, including America, are, more than likely going to pitch in financially towards the restoration of Ukraine as it tries to, you know, rehabilitate itself after this situation. So I I was, I was considering like the debt that will increase in America and other countries that lend financial assistance, but then just kind of um, at, at a more, I guess a more personal level, looking at the soldiers that are going to be returning from whatever support they, they lend it, you know, they lent in this, uh, 
this conflict and then of course looking at like the Ukrainian soldiers and the Ukrainian civilians who are going to have to and it kind of just brought to mind you know like all of the veterans and like the homelessness and like all of the crazy stuff that comes on after these things and that's kind of why we brought this guy in today that we're going to be speaking with you know I'm kind of excited about that I think if you're about ready I think we can go ahead and and bring him on in most certainly certainly young so Go ahead. His name is Kevin Paulson. And he is the associate consultant for policy and data at an organization called Life After Life. Um, Life After Life is a political slash civil rights watchdog organization specifically interested in transformative approaches to both civil and criminal slash social justice and um, how it plays out against the carceral system and looking at trying to um, make solutions and make community-centered initiatives that stem the tide of criminalization and incarceration while increasing um, rehabilitation and just general like social contentment, you know? So um, this guy here that we're bringing in, welcome Kevin Paulson. Thank you for having me here today. Um, one of the biggest things I believe we have with life after life is we like to make things, people become aware of things. A lot of things aren't, people aren't aware of. And so the information we look up and share on life after life is to help bring awareness to this. Yeah. So that's really awesome. We're super glad to have you here about that because, you know, we, we, in our brief communication with you. We were trying to get a better understanding about how Life After Life primarily focuses on community-centered, transformative justice initiatives and trying to pretty much stop the system from keeping men and women in prison for just these excessive lengths. But the work that you do with this organization is kind of auxiliary. It seems like you look at data and policy at the point of intersection and interplay with incarceration, veterans, and homelessness. Um, what got you into that work? Um, I experienced homelessness myself at a young age, so it it was a, it's always been a, a thing of interest for me, and if it wouldn't been for the people that reached out to help me, I wouldn't be in the position I'm in. Oh, okay. So, um, so you yourself are not a veteran, but you have been homeless. And so it kind of got you into researching all of the different aspects and the different causations that lead to homelessness. Like, you know, veterans that are poorly supported and incarceration are, are two big contributors, correct? Yes. When, when I was homeless, I was unaware that so many veterans were homeless. I just thought it was people that actually just didn't have the financial need means or support or network system they needed to be able to live a life in a home or and stuff like that but then i realized after coming to the knowledge of it that so many veterans are homeless and that is really surprising to me yeah i think that a lot of people tend to equate homelessness with uh, oh you're mentally ill or you're lazy or you have a drug addiction but a lot of times i think that there are huge like systematic gaps in our kind of governmental and social uh, infrastructure that stops these people from being watched out for. So I know that we we did a little research and preparation for this, but um, we were looking at specifically how veteran affairs 
do such a poor job at the, the rate of homelessness among those formerly incarcerated and returning veterans is substantially high, actually. Right. While, for example, there's a lot of funding put into taking care of immigrants and refugees who, by all means, you know, deserve support and deserve, you know, help and aid. But it kind of does make you look at the kind of disparity um, <laughs> in the populace. Well, I, I would love to hear more about that from you, Kevin Paulson. Right now, currently, 1.4 million vets are at risk of becoming homeless. They lack social network supports, and, and the increase in inflation and COVID is really affecting things. Oh, wow. Yeah. Yes. I, so I know that you were talking about that there's all of this really interesting, but at the same time, disappointing data about veterans as they re-enter this, you know, re-enter, um, I guess, civilian life, I guess is the best way to say it. I would love for you to share some of these stats and facts with us. Well, what I found out that only 400 million has been allotted for homeless veterans. And a lot of the stuff homeless veterans are suffering from are disabilities, mental health issues, and substance abuse, abuse issues. Wow. Okay. So substance abuse, homelessness, a lack of supplies. Who is to blame for these things? Is that like veteran affairs? Well, veteran affairs are the ones that are, are forking out the 400 million for grants for people that have proposals or projects to do these things to help veterans. That are meant to benefit them. But you said the that, a, well, how many, what's the percentage you use of homelessness in America is how many of those are veterans? There's uh, 23% of the homeless people in America are veterans. And that's interesting because 27% of the homeless population that I found are also incarcerated. And of that 27%, 14% were previously veterans. So we're seeing, we're seeing this huge interplay of veterans, of incarceration, of drug dependence, of homelessness, and of what looks like, even though there are being federal, and in some cases, state dollars, we're gonna to touch on that in a minute, because you were telling me earlier, off topic, I mean, off air about New York's federal funding, okay? So there's this huge interplay between a lack of actual, I'm kind of questioning where these dollars are going. Exactly. Curtis, I'd love to know you what you hear. I, I'm, I'm, I'm just like you, Cece. I would love to know where this money's going because just as we said in the beginning, you know, no way in no shape, form, or fashion do we want anyone out there to think that we're throwing off on humanitarian aid that the United States provides or are we throwing off on what is being provided for homeless veterans and the homeless just in general, but also those that are homeless that have been incarcerated before. But what we're seeing is a lot of issues here that there's not provisions for that, but yet we step forward and we send millions upon billions of dollars out of the country, out of the, out of the country on a daily basis, especially right now. There again, the Ukraine, I understand. Totally they understand. We do, but but we have homelessness, we, we have do. foster care children, we have sick, we have ailing. I mean, our inner cities are a mess. And, Correct. And then, you know, our veterans, this is what really brought our attention to our veterans is that we have money to send over to Ukraine, right. but we don't have money to provide for our own most vulnerable populace. Correct. Because just like you said, it's a failing system, state and federal wide, just like incarceration, the, the state side of it is a failing system, just like Veterans Affairs, it's been in the news for years now that they're constantly failing somewhere, whether it be in the mental health area, whether it That's be in- That's specifically you know, what I've read a lot about is that they seem to not be doing a good job at providing for the needs of those who are extremely, like extremely, extremely impacted by 
post warfare, post battle like trauma. I guess PTSD would be the probably the most accurate term. You send a man in to do a job for his country and protect his country, and when he comes home, he has no support system, nothing to turn to. So what? What is there left to do? Mm -hmm. Drugs, alcohol, homelessness. Mm -hmm. There it is. And then you you've done nothing and. And as 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 Kevin said, you know, there, there's been 400 million been allotted by the Veterans Affairs, but where is it going? Where yeah. are we seeing this at? That's my so, question. So, Kevin, in your research with Life After Life, what has has there been anything that you've seen that it that shows a clear reason or cause for the increased um, use of like you know drug addiction and homelessness among veterans? Well, the top listed things of uh, mental disorders is PTSD and anxiety coming in as close second. Um, so a lot of those could lead to substance abuse and PTSD may um, mess with, I guess, day-to-day like function. So therefore it could increase the chance to be homeless due to like not able to work or whatever. There's, there's a very low marriage rate and a very high divorce rate. For veterans? Yes. Oh, wow. Social isolation because they're coming back and straight from being discharged, a lot of them just can't deal with the society they once left before they went to and provided their services for the United States. Uh, on a kind of a touching note, has your data, your research into incarcerated people who are not veterans re- returning to society, do you find a lot of similarities between veterans returning to society and incarcerated people returning to, so- returning to society? And like, I'm not conflating the issues in the sense like, yes, servicemen have done awesome things. Yes, a lot of prisoners are where they are because they need to be. And while they are different battlefields, they are definitely battlefields yeah, yeah. though. But do you find any type of correlation in the same type of a... Uh, I guess, maladjustment in returning to society? Yes, I see the social social isolation and some of the mental health issues and also whether the people realize it or not, and people that have been incarcerated for long periods of time also suffer from a different version of PTSD. Yeah, I can agree with that. I definitely do. So do you, I also, I think that earlier when we were not recording yet, you told me that there was shocking data to show... Um, between incarcerated people and veterans, especially those veterans who also end up incarcerated, about drug use. Why do you think that is? Is there anything that you've seen in your research that indicates that specifically? The research that I found states that over 70% of all veterans, homeless veterans, suffer substance abuse issues. And I'm, I'm assuming that's from 51% of them have disabilities, 50% of them have serious mental disorders. And I mean, I can understand that. I see that being an issue, like you said, as, as you as you put forth a while ago, CC, you know, and and Kevin also, a man or a woman that's been incarcerated for long periods of time do suffer from a different form of PTSD, and um, we see that as people going out into society that have issues and that suffer from mental health issues, whether it be withdrawing from social activities or whatever. But I can also understand a man coming from another country. If I just came back and I, and in my mind, I've been over there, I've been out of country three years, let's mm-hmm. say, and I've lost a limb. I've Maybe I lost both limbs, both legs. And yeah. ladies and gentlemen out there, That's if you terrible. are a veteran, let me stop right here and say, thank you for thank your you service. So thank you so much for your service. Thank you. We and are not throwing off on what yeah, you no. have done by no means. We're advocating for you. Yeah, we're trying so, to figure out why the system is failing you like it's failing so right. many of its other most vulnerable 
members of society, you know, so, and we appreciate you. you know, and we appreciate you, Kevin, for you know scheduling this phone call with us and doing this with us. And we know we had to drop a few things, so we do appreciate you at this uh, this nice yes, long distance call that you're, you're paying for. <laughs> you're welcome, and I greatly appreciate the opportunity to do this. But this man comes back, and, and he's missing a limb or both limbs. And, and in, in the back of his mind, number one, he's, he's come back less of what he was when he left. Yes. Number two, he... And if a lot he of had people a family. end up with like body dysmorphia yes, and traditional psychological issues and it causes issues in like their marriages and their family relationship that's situations. Right. And too. that's where I was going, you know, they're gonna wonder how their family's gonna accept them, how their friends gonna accept them, how's society gonna accept me. But also in the back of their mind, they got to carry in there, okay, the veterans affairs is there for me. I'm gonna get the help I need. And then when you return, you come to find out that as me and you were talking earlier, Kevin, before the show, that either you're put on a waiting list. Or you have to go through some, which is crazy because they weren't putting on, they weren't put on a waiting list to sacrifice their, you know, potentially sacrifice their life and limb for this country. But we put them on a waiting list for them to get what they need so they can have even a nominal degree of their, 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 their real, you know, peace of mind and and, and life returned to them. And there's so much paperwork and red tape that they got to get, go through before they're even accepted. And then they're placed on that waiting list. So it's no wonder a man turns to, what he's been given when he first came back for pain or for whatever mental issue it is to help him cope that coping mechanism when that's gone and he's still on this waiting list or he or he didn't do the paperwork just right or they just feel like they don't want to do anything they turn to to street drugs they turn to to alcohol they turn to whatever's there to let that mind escape what they've just came home from so and what and you know like I said what what else did they lose when they returned what not just limbs did they lose family did they lose friends God. did they lose sense of who they are as a person we don't know so they're turning to whatever's possible so yeah. I can see it Susan. and I see that too because I I think it's really crazy how we because Kevin you were telling me earlier about how the incarceration rate um, for those who are no longer actively serving but are veter- you know veterans they formerly served is actually like frighteningly high considering that you would think that our jurisprudence system would deal with ex-veterans a little bit more leniently and a little bit more favorably considering that it seems like most of the offenses these guys and gals are convicted for are either drug related like you know or in some instances are violent offenses but like due to outbursts from like emotional and mental issues and and why do you think our prison systems and our, our policing systems are penalizing instead of providing a commensurate level of care for these folks. I think it's a stigma that's in the minds and the, and the hearts of the people in society. It's just like a lot of your incarcerated people, they struggle to find employment when they get out. And that causes them to turn either back to a life of crime or substance abuse, or they might be dealing with mental health issues from their incarceration. But the same thing goes with veterans. Veterans are suffering from not being able to find employment. And a lot of that lack of employment is due to their mental health disorders or their disabilities or their substance abuse use. I think what's most frightening, though, is the data about the older veterans, the veterans that are in their 60s and 70s. And it seems like I've noticed over the last about 10 years, there's a lot of stories. Excuse me. (laughs) There's a lot of stories um, in the press and things like that. Um, a lot of complaints by veterans about, in other, in other words, just the inadequacy of the U.S. government to provide for and ensure the livelihood and the needs of these veterans are being met. 
And that's frightening. I, I know that you told, told me earlier, what did you sell about, you said the federal government had allocated so much funds. Could you tell me a little bit about that? Um, the federal government allocated $400 million for homeless veterans. Does that seem like adequate to you? I mean, for a, a country that spends literally billions on the Department of Defense, we can't spend a couple billion on caring for our veterans? Well, if if the $400 million was the only thing I'm looking at, then I might say, yeah, that might be adequate. But then I go into researching other things like how much it costs the city of New York for their homeless people. But the cost of living is also rising all the time. So, And that's a major factor, especially in this time. But you're about to tell us something really interesting about how New York outdid, just for the state of New York, it outdid the federal government who intends to care for the veterans of an entire country. Could you tell us more about that? It just blows my mind that they asked Congress for $3.5 billion to defeat homelessness okay the price tag on homelessness just in the city of new york is 3.2 billion dollars so that's just the city of new york that's not even including the rest of the united states jesus and it's just it just blows my mind but then i and don't get me wrong i believe we ought to help everybody we can possibly help but, but there has to be a, a degree of, of, of priority to it. But I also believe we ought to take care of home first. Yes. And when you are taking American taxpayers' money and you're only willing to fork out $400 million for homelessness, right. but you take, and don't get me wrong, I, I love the United States' capability of being the number one largest single most provider for humanitarian assistance. But they are forking out $13 billion almost yearly for humanitarian assistance. Mm-hmm. Now, in contrast to $400 million opposed to $13 billion, I see a big disparity there. I agree with you 100%. So, you were telling me earlier. Oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead, no, Curtis. See, Go sorry. ahead. No. I mean, we can, we can send $13.5 billion away from the country, but we can only allocate $400 million for our veterans who serve for their country. But yet alone, that's that's not even going to touch it because just you said, Kevin, New York City alone was $3.2 billion. So you're only going to allocate $400 million for the whole United States as a whole for homeless veterans? And as I'm looking at your data sheet here, it says that there are humanitarian organizations that are carrying a brunt. So private not, or mostly non-for-profit organizations that are carrying the brunt of taking care of our veterans. So it's not even the state and the federal governments that are right, doing it. Right. It's, it's concerned citizens, you know. Right. So could you tell me and Curtis a little bit more about the largest single provider of humanitarian assistance? That's the United States. And they're the ones forking out 13, they forked out $13 billion, nearly $13 billion fiscal year 2021. Oh, and that's what Curtis was just, right. okay, yeah, okay. Dang. 13, 13 billion. Do you happen to know who the biggest um, nonprofit organization is that is contributing to veterans here in the United States? No. The only thing I know is about veterans of the Department of Veterans Affairs. Uh, and from what I'm That's, reading here, you don't have a lot of good things to say about them. No. <laughs> I, and I can understand. $400 million is all y'all can choke up. And it's only for grants. And that's federal government still. They're, st- they're sending this other 13.5. And, and I will... 
California's highest rate of Ooh. homeless veterans is yes. 11,000, five times more than Florida, Texas, Texas, Washington, Oregon, New York, and Colorado last. Wow. Oh. But like you just were stating there, Cece, one city, one city for their homeless, 3.2 billion. And then you just named off, what, five, six major other cities that's coming from his from his information there. Yeah. And then I the see here on your... Are over, 12, 15, 20, and 30 percent here. And his research here indicates that Mississippi has the greatest increase of homeless veterans at 78.9 percent. And what's really crazy, though, is as I'm looking over this spreadsheet, you know, I'm really just stuff is shocking me. Like, you know, the life expectancy now for an American is not 50 years old. Like, no. you know, life ex that's you back in the day, like in the medieval days, if you were 50, you were ancient. OK, wow. but now that's not. So when you see that the data shows you that the average life expectancy for a homeless person and 90 percent, correct me if I'm wrong um, here, Kevin, that 90 percent of the homeless are men. OK, 90 percent uh, of the homeless the men are, are veterans. Okay. 90% of the homeless veterans are male. And then 23% of all homeless are vets. Okay. Right. But so this is crazy is that of this population of homelessness and homeless vets, their average expectancy to live is 50 years old. 50 years old. 50 years old. So this is showing you, it's putting into perspective ju just how... I can't even come up with a word decimating homelessness is, especially in when, you know, when you, which everybody, just the average homeless person, um, they will have tons of their own issues, their own baggage, their Correct. own needs not being met. But then to compound it with being a homeless ex-felon or a homeless sex offender, and I know sex offenders, are they get the worst rap and some of it's deserved, or a homeless veteran. So we're looking at these populations that have these, exacerbated comorbidities right. and that that says a lot that literally we're returning the life expectancy back to medieval times. medieval times earlier you spoke on you said about uh people being over 60 years old yeah. um you've only got 3.2 percent of your homeless people that are over 61 3.2 percent that's mind-blowing you've only you've got uh a larger, the largest percentage starts at age 24. That would be to 51. And that makes sense, especially in your veteran area, because a man goes in at 18 to serve his country and he comes, he does three, four, or seven year stint and he's coming out at 23, 24 years old. And there's like 420 something million Americans. How, what is our population of homeless? Uh, I think it's close to a half a million on a, the, I'm talking about veterans now. Oh, okay. It's close to half a million veterans on any given night throughout the year. But normally... That's more veterans than we actively employ at one I mean, that, one more more servicemen than we actively employ at one time. There, there is a lot of homeless shelters and services provided for veterans to get them off the street. But still, on every average night, there's forty to 60,000 veterans still sleeping on the on streets. On the streets. And That's our That's unacceptable. our homeless population in the United States is between 2.3 million 
to 3.5 million on any given night. And that's just what the the census statistics people have been able to determine because, you know, they always said there's margin of error for those who are unaccounted Correct. for. Right. So the number in reality could be as great as two or three times higher than the 40,000 a night right. or the 3.5. There could literally be... Uh, there could be 100,000 people probably right. know, but they're just undocumented. I want to jump back to say what one of the biggest goals for humanitarian assistance is. And it's one to of the save, biggest goals. The biggest goals is to save lives and to provide health care, food, shelter, water, hygiene supplies, and other needed necessities yeah. to these refugees and these foreigners and all this other stuff. Well... In my research, I have found that one of the biggest problems in the United States is you got 13,000 homeless people dying every year. 13,000 a year. Now, and they're the marginalized. So I guess to, to society at large, they don't matter. And that's so no. sad. It's one of the, the most shameful um, trademarks of America is kind of our deliberate indifference right. to. These are people that don't have proper food proper shelter, proper health care, and they're not being looked at like other people, refugees and all those stuff. I mean, don't get me wrong. I love that we can help refugees. Yes. The problem I see is these people served this country for us to be able to maintain the liberties that the people of this country enjoy. And being in the position that we're able to render aid is some could ostensibly, you know, is because these veterans who served their country in varying capacity as servicemen and women. So it's like even the ability to offer this humanitarian aid abroad is partially quantifiably connected to them. These servicemen and women who we are now in our, their greatest time of need, arguably, Correct. We're, 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 we're failing them. And I think that's why the research that you do, even though the organization that you work with, Life After Life, is primarily orienting itself with um, incarceration and um, programs of transformative community-centered justice. I think it's really interesting that you guys have all of these initiatives and kind of collateral projects that um, assess and annualize the data that is very relevant because when you were looking at homelessness or we're looking at um, mental health illness or we're looking at causes of poverty or crime, what they call criminal, criminal, criminogenic factors, you know, they all of these things, um, all of these different communities, these subclasses of vulnerable people um, wow. or, or underserved people or forgotten people, they have a lot of the same statistical or data um, factors in common. Very much. Well, let me- if I can, I'd like to throw another fact out there that not a lot of people aren't aware of. We just stated oh, we love the, it. We stated the numbers of how, the amount of homeless people that are in the United States at this point in time. And this is a very, very sad fact. 20% of the homeless people in the United States are children. Children. So see, I mean... So we've got homeless veterans, we've got homeless ex-felons, we've got people that lost their homes during the market crisis of the earlier 2000s period, and we've got homeless children. Now, the biggest factor about the homeless children, and this is going to touch the hearts of many people, and I'm pretty sure it'll touch the hearts of you, 42% of those homeless children are LGBT. Wow. And I, that touches my heart because I, I know about that. I was a homeless, um, transgender youth. 
You know, and while we're on this topic of homeless school children and homeless families, I'd like to give a shout out to um, Buena Vista B BVMH High School in California. Um, they turned their gym into a community shelter for students and their families who were homeless. So the gym after hours provides food and it provides a study area and study help and it has beds, coughs, etc. for these families to have somewhere to sleep and so that kids don't have to leave from school and go live hungry on the streets, okay. you know, and be Why cold. So exactly. So there there are communities and there are individuals stepping up, but this this topic has really uh, it's it's bestirred bestirred me. <laughs> and it's never ending. I mean the research and the data that can be done on it and the facts that you can find are endless. And I wasn't able to gather all the things that I needed to, to prepare for this, but I am so glad I was able to share what I have been able to share. Yeah, we're very glad to. You gave us a nice um, a primer, uh, right. some good information, some good numbers. And I guess like, um, I don't know. I just, my heart's really touched right now. I just yeah. kind of, I think that bums me out. I think there's probably some of you out there that's, that's, that's listening to this and you want to understand why is the United States doing what we do so much with humanitarian aid to these other countries and refugees, but yet we we fail to take care of our own, whether it be veterans, whether it be formerly incarcerated, or whether it just be children or, or mom and dads that are homeless because of economic and downfall. A, and another forgotten pop population of these vulnerable and homeless people is foster or orphanage children Correct. here in the States. I was a foster child. I was a runaway. I was homeless. And I know that that is not an uncommon um, detail. That is a very common and frequently seen detail in, in the lives of people, right. you know, foster kids or whatever. And I, th I think the answer to it, in, in my opinion, this is solely my opinion, is homelessness is a socially unacceptable status. Especially That's for a the country that hails Thank itself you. as the most powerful, wealthy, and stable country Correct. in the world. And we all know that a high percentage of those that are homeless have done something unfavorable, you know, whether it's an ex-felon, former incarcerated person, whether it's a person that's coming back from service who's had some mental issues, suffering PTSD, but has failed to domestic in other words, violence, we love whatever. to forget those who are inconvenient right. to that, us. Thank you. That's what I'm looking for, Cece. As society as a whole, it's okay to help someone in another country who's suffering because of something going on over there. But it's because not it lets okay. Us pat ourselves on our collective right. American back of identity. Correct. But it's not okay and it's not socially acceptable to help someone who has failed their sales or fell on hard times or just did wrong. Let's just say it that way. They did or even something it's wrong. just inconvenient yeah, because it correct. costs us money or time. I think, think about this. Think about the absurdity. He said one of the major holdups, Kevin, correct me if I'm incorrect. One of the major holdups you said about these veterans as they come back, getting these resources is paperwork. It's bureaucracy. Correct. Think about it. I, I know there was some paperwork involved for them to go serve, but I bet you. It was an iota, a, a mere oh, fraction of the amount of paperwork that it takes for them to come back and get their needs met. And that, to me, the, I, I feel like whenever you put that much paperwork between a person who you really owe, you owe these servicemen and women, you put that much paperwork between them and, and having their needs fulfilled and having them taken care of, that's a purposeful obstacle to me. Yes, okay? very it's much It's a purposeful so. obstacle. So I think... Um, 
I think we need to do better. Yeah. We need to do better as a country. We do not, I, I'm not saying we need to stop our humanitarian aid by no means. No, again, absolutely please, not. Please, people understand that. But we maybe are we not. could do a little less over there and a little bit more here. Correct. I think that. Let's, let's offset it for a while. Let's offset it forever. How because even though I'm not a socialist, I, I do think that the socialist countries like, you know, the, the ones in the Netherlands and Denmark or whatever, they, they have done some really good things and they consistently poll globally as the most content, most. Um, peaceful, most prosperous, most um, career oriented, most, you know, lowest crime countries because everybody's needs are met. They have the lowest amount of homelessness, the lowest amount of foster care children because the government and the society as a whole is, is orchestrated and oriented towards providing for the society, providing for the right. people and, and, and elevating it and trying to provide a better quality of life, a QOL, as I like to call yes. it, you know? So I think that there are things that we can learn and I think that there's room for some adjustment. I don't, I don't know. I don't, I don't suppose I have all the answers by any means, <laughs> but I think that I have more information to ponder possible answers. Thanks to Kevin thank Paulson here. Yes. I want to thank you. Curtis wants to thank you. Thank you, Kevin, for being on the show with we, us. We today. really well, loved having you here. It. Yeah, but go ahead and give us a little, pitch us in a little bit. Tell us how we can find life after life and how we can interact with well, you. And um, you said that, that I actually know, I've met her one time. Um, Yolanda Hamilton is the director and CEO of Life After Life. Can you Tell us where we can find you online. And Life After Life is a, a group and a page on Facebook, and it's also done on YouTube. And you can find it. It's for sharing wisdom, knowledge, and understanding with people of the world through other people's personal experiences. And we're, we welcome anybody who's willing to join us, and we'll share with everybody who's willing to share with us. We, we invite everybody we can. Thank you. Right. Well, that is just about it for us. As always, we encourage you to share our content. Follow us on Twitter if you haven't already at Uncaged Critique. We'd love to see you there. Be sure to follow us on our Facebook fan page, group page. We love you community page at Uncaged Critique Podcast. As always, if you want to send us an email, a question, a concern, or even a bitch complaint, which we love personally, <laughs> be sure to send us an email over at uncagedcritique at gmail.com. Again, that is uncagedcritique at gmail.com. If you love us so much that you'd like to support this and other projects that we do, please, please, please contribute to us over at our Google Pay at uncagedcritique at gmail.com or on our cash app at uncagedcritique which is the dollar sign on Cage Critique because uh, we don't have any merchandise right now. But we love you so much. We yes. love doing this with you and we love being a part of this journey with you. So as always, we've got incarcerated bodies, but... Liberated minds. This is Uncaged, Uncaged Critique. Critique.